Absolutely. Let's just pray for John as he brings the word. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth and that your truth is eternal. And Lord, may you now give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying through John. Uh, Help us not just to think with our brains, but also with our spirit, that we will discern these things and receive life from you today. I pray for John that you would equip him thoroughly for this task. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Amen. Good morning. Um, I... I'm grateful for the extra time, but um, I know that Jim wanted to share a word of encouragement, so uh, unfortunately we, we will miss out on that, but trust that he will uh, be able to bring that next week. My, my, my message this morning really is a challenging one. It's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to speak it, and I want us to understand the reason um, that I'm going to be talking about this. The, my title is The Assault on Truth which sounds quite dramatic, but I think it is a dramatic thing. And I didn't know that the young people in the meeting this morning, so um, I think this is a good one for our young people, because it really is about the, the times in which we live. Um, they're interesting times, to put it mildly. They're concerning times, I think, which is probably more realistically, um, because there is something going on in society which is an assault on truth. And... Um, But the reason I want to say is because we need to know as the church how we engage, am I too high up, Drew? No. How we engage with society, how do we stand for um, what the Bible says as truth, and how do we love one another? How do we, um, instead of pointing the finger at people, help people and point the finger to Jesus? How do we do that in this day and age? And one of, the, one of the things that I probably will touch on most of this morning is understanding the times in which we're in. So um, I hope you young people stay with me. Um, if I'd known the young people here, I would have had a few more pretty pictures, but I've only got one. So, but if Mary stays with me, I know that we're all right. All right, Mary? Um, when I was um, about five years old... Um, my mum asked me while I was reading so funny, because I think I was doing this a lot, and she said, we didn't. I remember saying, mum, I can't see what I'm reading. So she took me to the opticians, and I, and I went in, I was six years old, and apparently if, I, if it hadn't been caught sooner, I would have gone blind in my right eye. And um, because I've got a lazy eye, which basically means that my left eye compensates, not that it just doesn't wake up till about 11 o'clock in the morning. And... Um, but I remember going through and, you know, you go in, you get your glasses, and, and I walked out, and I fell over on the street because the, I, I didn't realise how bad my eyes were until I put these glasses on, and it was, I remember it distinctly, it was up in Eltham, um, it was as if the pavement was further away, and I stepped, and then I just fell on my face. Fortunately, I had those bendy uh, free NHS glasses that were great going through school with, thanks mum and dad. Uh, mahogany effect plastic but I didn't know how bad my eyes were I didn't know that what I was looking at wasn't the truth until I put the glasses on and and we're in an age really where we don't know you know we're in this kind of fishbowl of culture we don't know um, what is true what is right necessarily until we get some glasses and we see the truth through 
the, the glasses, if you like, of the word, which is brought alive to us by the Spirit. So, you know, when Jesus said about um, we are but sheep, um, it's amazing how much we go along with rather blindly as a society without really thinking about the, the implications of what we believe or what we understand and how we live. And, um, and, and that's, when I was thinking of that, that seems to summarise really what I'm talking about this morning. I guess it could be summarised like this. We need to be wearing the glasses of the word and we need to understand that the people in the world do, have not yet got their glasses on. And um, they're seeing things in a different way, and they're seeing things in a way where the scripture says, um, even to this point, the blind leaders are leading the blind. And, um, and so I want you to understand that even though I might say some things this morning, it is not an attack, it is a, it is a teaching of reality, and we need to respond in love to our society. Okay? So um, uh, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, or if you want to look at the Scriptures on the screen, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Uh, um, not 31. I've given you a wrong one, Dave. It's uh, 27. Right at the very beginning of time, God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 2, or chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, um, we see a breakdown of, of this time in the garden where uh, Adam and Eve, or Eve particularly, meets this serpent and says, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Right at the very beginning of time, there was an assault on truth. God had said to to Adam and Eve, eat of everything in the tree, of uh, uh, everything in the garden, every tree except for one tree. If you eat that tree, you will surely die. And what the enemy said to Eve was, has God said? First time in humanity, the truth of God's word was challenged with another truth, in inverted commas. Has God said? And really, what underlies everything in our culture today, in the way that society thinks, the way that people have uh, viewed things, is being eroded, the sense of absolute truth of God is being eroded and broken down and attacked. And it comes right back to the very beginning that the heart of the devil is to destroy God's truth. As soon as you destroy an absolute truth, then anyone can come up with their own reason. Did God actually say... And I think this is where we're at right now. We're in this place where 
Um, truth is under attack. And the interesting thing is what the woman says, says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and those three things, again, if you can write this down, you can look at other, in other places. They were the three, same three temptations that Christ had when he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. If you look at it. In 1 John, uh, I think it's chapter 1, verse 15, uh, the same three things are mentioned as denotes the being of love for the world. The enemy hasn't changed but what we're seeing, as I look at it, is this most clearer days when we start to take our head out of the fishbowl, when we start to put our glasses on, we start to see, actually, do you know what? Things are really becoming clear and obvious of an assault on truth. And the church, um, more and more I was thinking this, you know, the, uh, when Jesus said the broad way leads to death, but the narrow way is the way that leads to life. We, as Christians, we are like fish um, swimming upstream. Um, and when we stop swimming, we just go with the flow downstream. So we, are, we have to keep swimming. We have to keep knowing the truth. We have to keep seeking God. We have to keep speaking the truth. Because if we don't, then we will just go with the flow. I want to give a little brief. I've been looking into all different things to do with... Um, uh, worldview, the way in which people see the world. We all see the world in a certain way. And um, I've got a, a, um, a little diagram just to help with this. Over the last 500 years, the way in which people see the world uh, has changed. The way that people make their decisions, the way um, one word is worldview, or you could say culture has shifted, all these kind of things. Um, usually in the realm of philosophy and art, you see these things come up. We'll put that thing up. So, you, what you see there, in around about, or up to the 17th century, is known as the pre-modern era. You can Google this later. It's very fascinating. Does that, has anyone heard of the word Christendom? It was the era where the church um, dictated essentially how you should live. It was pretty, pretty much led by this sense of the supernatural, about belief in God. We, people made the decisions and we, how we, which they lived their life based on the teaching which generally came from the church. And if you know your history back then, um, around about the time uh, the pre-modern time ended, there were certain things that happened. Um, the Reformation was one of those things. It was a challenge against authority. There was also the Enlightenment, and there was all these different things. Uh, there was the wars in Europe, which are often all connected with these different things. I'm not a historian, but essentially what you saw was people lived with an understanding which was, more, which was a lot closer to the way in which God would teach us, because the church, the Catholic church at the time, would dictate, they would be the authority, people would listen, they would respect authority, they would understand um, a, a truth that was set outside of themselves and they adhered to it. I'm talking generally speaking. At the end of that time, around about, uh, up just not too far in the middle, around about the 70s, 80s, in the last uh, century, things shifted to... Um, or, or up, sorry, up to the 20th century, yeah. Uh, things shifted to what they call the modern era. Are you following this? This is fascinating, isn't it? And I can see it in your faces. 
where science became the big thing. People would say, well, hold on a minute. This came with enlightenment. People started to say, well, how do you know that there is a God? Let's turn to science. Science, science still believed that there was this absolute truth, but instead of believing about it, people started to say, well, let's prove it. So it went into um, about, they didn't question authority, or they questioned the authority of the church particularly and, and of scripture, but they, they believed that they could discover truth by experimentation, by rational inquiry, by scientific investigation, all these kind of things. So facts became the predominant, the predominant way in which people believed and led their lives. Man became central, whereas God was quite central in, in that kind of welfare. Man became central, the rise of humanism. Um, life without God became uh, the key ingredient, if you like. And then up to the um, present day, from around about the 80s, up to present day is what they would call the postmodern era. And um, all this is broken down into various different things. You can look at that if you want to. But where essentially... In the pre-modern era, faith was the guiding principle. Then in the modern era, facts were the guiding principle. Then more recently, up to present time, feelings are the guiding principle. Essentially, there were great... Um, and I was reading some of these things about deconstruction and all this kind of stuff. Is, is, that, is that anyone's thing? Has anyone looked into this? Put your hand up. Two people. Two people. Just Yeah. Um, it's not a bad thing if only two people looked into it. <laughs> but postmodernism basically questioned authority, it questioned objective truth, truth. structure was questioned, everything was questioned. It, it, there's no longer any certainties. So an individual's point of view was just as valid truth as someone else's point of view. And so... We're bound no longer by these kind of objective rules or by any kind of authority beyond ourselves. Um, Rabbi Zacharias, which many of us might know, um, says postmodernism makes three very bold statements. There is no truth, no meaning, no certainty. No truth, no meaning, no certainty. It gives an example of a writer and a reader. So, you know, you might write a book and, you, and you, when you're writing something, you are portraying what you believe those words that you're writing means. Postmodernism, postmodernism says uh, the reader can dictate what those words mean. And the writer no longer has authority to determine what he has written. And this has is, this is led to certain things. Words are being redefined now. I was watching, um, do you know um, John Lennox? Uh, fantastic guy. Um, he was having, he's a mathematician, he was having a, a discussion about the, how words in science are being changed in order to facilitate meaning um, or, or um, to help people to understand things um, based on their own personal hypothesis. So um, understanding how was the world created, the Big Bang. Um, so what scientists grapple with is how was, can something be made out of nothing? And, uh, and um, you can look into this, because I've looked into this in real depth, so I'm out of, my, out of my depth when I'm talking about science. But a physicist, Lawrence Price, um, has come up with a way of understanding how things come out from nothing by redefining the word nothing in this context to mean something. 
So, in other words, saying something, um, something has come out of nothing because nothing is physical. Now, for me, it's just common sense. Nothing means nothing. But because you can redefine a word, you can make it mean what you want it to mean. And this is a result of postmodernism. The other word is marriage, which is something we might be a bit more familiar with. The word marriage has been redefined in order to facilitate single sexes being married together. Now, the biblical worldview, the biblical understanding, if you were to go through Genesis chapter 1, you will find, let there be light, Separated light from darkness, complementary pairs. The next one, the, uh, the water and the land, complementary pairs. And then it goes on about vege uh, vegetari vegetarians, uh, <laughs> the vegetation and so forth. You see, anyway, through this, how God brings these things together. And then he creates man, as I read. Let's God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Complementary pairs. And what marriage really portrays, if you go right through to the end of the story, is this great picture of God's complementary pairs with the bride of Christ and the groom, which is Jesus Christ, coming together at the end of ages. That's what marriage signifies. When you get married, is you are portraying the great story of Christ and his church coming together. That's the biblical worldview, if you like. That's the biblical understanding. And what marriage does when you have single-sex marriages, it breaks God's portrayal. And, the only, and that's why um, many people, the only problem I had with the marriage debate is that it was a change of the word marriage. I don't have any issues with single-sex partnerships. It's not my place to decide that. But marriage says something a lot more. It is a change of truth. The gender debate. You know, it's no longer man and female, according to Scripture. Um, what, what, what they say now is, is that gender is a social construct. It's not, it's not a, based on the word, male and female, he, he created them. It's not a faith element. It is not a fact element in terms of biology, male and female. It is a social contract. That means that it's the society dictates certain categories. So if, if I um, feel that I am, I identify, and let's be straight, people, there are people who are born in, as female who do not identify as female. That is, that is a reality. But because they're driven by the subjective, they're wanting to change the way that we understand life based on the subjective experience. See, this is, this is where we, as church, how do we love people? How do we point them to Jesus? We have to understand these things. Okay? So we've gone from faith to fact to feelings where gender is, is now simply a category based on society. And if anyone's heard that the LGBT uh, you know, it's now these, these kind of categorizing these um, uh, the groups of people. It's now actually LGBTQQIAAP. Um, Google it. It's because the categories are widening. There are people that identify as a different gender. There are people that identify without a gender. And there are people that identify as gender fluid, 
which means that at some point they may identify as male, and another point they may identify as female. Um, I'm not criticising people here, by the way. People identify this way. How can you change the way you identify? How can you change the way that you feel? The only thing that I can suggest is that we need people to know Jesus. It's not for me to point to someone and say, stop feeling, stop identifying the way that you identify. But we need to show Jesus. This is the point. But all this comes right down to the very beginning when the devil said, has God said? We've, we've, dis- we've disconnected from the absolute truth. Rabbi Zacharias says, if you're in, an air, if you're in a, a plane and you're going through turbulence, do you want to have a postmodern ca- um, captain at the helm? <laughs> I, I know what all this is saying, but I'm just going to go with the way that I think best. Um, I mean, it, it lightens it, but essentially... That's what society is doing. See, when Adam ate that fruit, sin came in, broke the world. Completely broke the world. Broke us, broke nature, brought disease, brought sin. See, this whole thing about this uh, nature of mankind in every one of us is what we call sin. And in in Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 Paul writes for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth suppress the truth righteousness and truth go hand in hand you need to know the truth in order to live rightly that's been been righteous so excuse me and what's happening in society is a suppression of truth. People aren't necessarily, conscious, some maybe, consciously recognising and believing there is an absolute truth and we need to suppress it. I don't think that's what's going on in the majority of people's minds. But the way that the subtle way that the enemy works is to suppress the truth through shifting people's view of things to this, particularly where we're at in this feeling orientated way. See, there was a day where we thought science was the issue. It's amazing, isn't it, when, you look, when something else comes along and you think, well, I wish, we, I wish science was the problem. It's a bit like when Al-Qaeda was the problem and then I, um, ISIS came along and then, not that anyone wished that Al-Qaeda was the problem, but things just seemed to get worse and worse. Romans 22:23. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We may not be um, worshipping idols that look like creative things, but we worship the creative order, mankind. We've taken our eyes off God, and we've looked to man and our own creations. And what happens is, is that when, when we go down that route... <clears throat> We, God starts to let things go. Not in agreement, he takes his restrictive hands. See, let me ask you this, when we suppress the truth and start being led by our own feelings, by 
what we subjectively feel or, or, or understand or identify with internally, there's a real issue. Just go to James. You don't have to turn to it and go on the screen. James chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, that is, strong feelings for a certain thing. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Can you see the problem here? If we go by our desires because of sin and the bias towards unrighteousness, it will lead to sin. Now, temptation is not sin. Feelings is not sin. How you identify, where, how you feel about yourself is not sin. What you do with that is sin. There's a big, there's a big distinction there that often people get confused. It's not how you feel... It's what you do. And this is the implication here. When somebody says they're lured and enticed by feelings. And that's why we need to identify why am I feeling this? What is right? When I look at the truth, I need to set aside my feelings and live according to the truth. I wonder this morning whether we can identify the influence of this postmodern era on our own lives. I wonder how much you do only because you feel like doing it. And I wonder how many times you say to yourself, do you know what, even though I feel that, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm going to go and do that because I know that's the right way that God teaches us to live. I'm going to go and do that thing, not because I'm going to go against all every feeling. I'm going to go and do it because that's the right way of doing it. According to the word of God, God teaches me. That's why God says, discipline, discipline. And when you see, as we will see in Romans, um, some people get caught up on this first thing. And, and in this next passage of Romans, it says, God gave them up three times. Now, I don't, I'm, my jury's out for me whether they are three levels or just in three areas or three implications. But this is the first one in verses 24 to 32. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth about God, can you see that? It's so clear, isn't it, when you start to read the Bible. The truth about God for a lion worshipped and served the creature rather than creator. So we see this. God gave them up. He re removed the restriction of grace upon them, which then led them to just go ahead and do what was in their heart to do. The next implication, in, um, <clears throat> as we just follow it through. In verse 26, and for this reason God gave them up, to dishonourable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. One of the things, a common thought about homosexuality is that if God has made me this way, then it must be right. Again, because the world has fallen, our bodies are broken. That's why there's disease. That's why we have sinful thoughts. That's why we have sinful desires. And that's why our body's wiring is broken, that we have experiences in our lives that are contrary to the scripture. And, and I'm not talking about this subject today, but if you look in Leviticus, there's a, you can equally go and find people like Steve Chalk who will give you other options 
but something has gone wrong in our bodies that we will experience desires that we have to bring into check and align with Scripture. What postmodernism does is it gives freedom for you to go with whatever you desire to do. I remember a song, it's always, I can't remember who sung it, but it was, um, if it feels good, then it must be right. Um, it was in the charts many years ago. See, we need to think that the, not that the way we feel is sin, it's what we do with these feelings. I want to make a point about that. Let's go on. And since they did not, verse 28, did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents... Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree. That's a point earlier. There's none without excuse. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in the things that are made. That's in the early part of Romans. There's none without excuse. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. See, when we get our glasses on and we see in light of Scripture, we can see the world we're living in. And interestingly, if that is a process, or uh, not necessarily a, um, th- by the end, these are the biggest sins, but we realise that in this same passage, homosexuality, passion for the same sex is in the same bracket as disobedient to parents. So let's not get carried away with what we don't like in ourselves. It's just as bad to not like something because you have a feeling orientated towards that. To, have a, to do something because you have a feeling orientated to that. See, when there is no objective truth authority, uh, or, or authority that dictates our way of life, each person is led to do what they feel to do. And it just leads to brokenness and sin. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago about this phrase, post-truth, is now in the Oxford Dictionary, and it means relating to, denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Let me ask you this. When you last read something in the newspaper or watched something on the news that really bothered you, did you look in to see whether it was true? And did you see what the biblical response to that situation is? Because so much of what we see in social media, in the news, do you really know it's true? Um, I, I mentioned about this um, statement that um, one of Trump's, uh, I can't remember the name, Conway, I think her name is, talked about alternative facts. She was making a, uh, a point about someone else who said this, Sean Spice, whose name was, I think sometimes we can disagree with the facts. I think sometimes we can disagree with the facts. The only person who disagrees with facts is a liar. Fake news has become so prevalent. I don't know if you noticed this, that in, the last, in our general election last time, there was, even on the BBC site, there was fact checker. In other words, they would check that what people are saying is true. 
and you can go to factcheck.org, I think it is, uh, um, fullfact.org, and you can go in, you can read something news, you can go on there, and you can check whether it's true or not. Did you know that? Um, on the, anyone watch or listen to or read about Prime Minister's questions? Anyone into that? Um, I read an article about this because every now and then I watch this. I know the young people love Prime Minister's questions it's on Parliament Channel. The, uh, the Prime Minister is asked a question by the opposition most of the time and the Prime Minister has a pre-prepared answer. I think that's how it works, isn't it? It's not like on the spot. And so, say, Jeremy Corbyn asks a question about the NHS and then she will give a response that often doesn't answer the question but makes a point against the opposition. Within minutes, that clip without the question is on Facebook because it's about sharing this misinformation. And I'm sure the other parties do the same. I mean, I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a point that we are in days where truth is being pushed down and down and down. We're in a post-truth society, which is really concerning. See, the assault on truth is an assault on Christ and the way of the Spirit. And I want to read three verses to you. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the truth. See, when we're talking about truth, we're talking about Jesus, the Word of God. That's what this is. A biblical worldview is a Christ worldview, a Christ-centered worldview. John 8, verse 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is nothing else that sets us free but the truth, but Jesus. John 16, verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. And I want to make a point of this next bit. He will speak, he will not speak on his own authority. Postmodernism, no truth, no authority, no certainty. See, the church must become defenders of truth. And I've just got four things that I want to uh, finish with. Number one, <clears throat> we need to know the truth and not blindly lead, uh, be led by society. I, I want to challenge you this morning that maybe you're not reading your Bible enough. But more than that, are you looking at society, thinking about your decisions, and then aligning it with the truth? What you believe about some of these issues, or what you see on the TV in, or in, in the debates, I don't know how much you get into these things, but the decisions we make must be aligned with the truth. If you don't know the truth, then the chances are you're not swimming upstream, you're floating down with the rest of them. You may be pointed in the right direction, but we need to be in our, in our Bibles. And 
Um, and at this point, I want to encourage you to come next Sunday night to start in our Bible Foundation series every other week to get found our foundation strong in the Bible, in the truth. And interestingly, the first one is, what is truth? Or where is truth, I think, is the title. It's about the Bible. And we need, so we need to know about truth. The second one is, we need to become truth. In other words, we need to be conformed to Christ. We need to take the word and we need to live it out. Someone might say to you, you just have to give your heart to Jesus. That's not true. Not if you follow it to its full extent. There are many people that might say, I've become a Christian, but they do not know the truth and the truth hasn't become a part of them. They haven't been born again, if that's one word you would prefer. Or they're not pursuing truth. They're not walking with God. Read 1 John, verse, uh, chapter 1, uh, 1 John, and you will see there is a clear distinction between those who know God and those who don't know God. And any thought that you can just simply give assent to being a Christian is deception, it's not true. There has to be a change in our lives. Number three, we need to move in the spirit of truth and pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. John 16, verse 8 says, When he, that is the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Remember what I said about righteousness. Righteousness is an awareness of truth, an outworking of our awareness of truth. It's living out truth. And the Holy Spirit convicts. That's the only reason I'm standing here believing this, is because the Holy Spirit convicted my heart of righteousness. And he's help me understand, just to a measure at this stage, truth. So we need to pray. We need to pray that God will move by his spirit. We need to walk in the spirit. We need to live our lives according to the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, is it? Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Number four, we need to speak the truth. I think this is where the rubber hits the road. How do we love transgender people who want to be called not he or she, but Z and they? And uh, There's a whole debate at the moment, and probably legislation will come in to make it a human right for someone to be given the, their, what is it called, pronoun, personal pronoun? He, she, they, Z person, um, it, would, it, would, it would be legislation that you have to insert, well, not that no one can legislate against us individually, but if you worked in a situation, it would be in the um, employment law that you have to speak to them, with the, so even if it was a man, you have to call them she, according to law. What's the Christian response to that? Um, and we, we have to... <clears throat> We have to speak truthfully. Um, we have to be loving. We have to go with our conscience. There's um, the distinct, I think, major point that we're not just following society where we need to follow the Lord. We need to, Romans 12 verse 18 says, we need to live peaceably with all. We need to be peacemakers and not willingly destructive in our words. Um, but we need to speak the truth. And what happens, and I'm going to let this 
question. I know what I'm thinking, but let me ask you this question. If someone else's reality is not true, do you understand what I mean? If, if their reality that they are uh, gender fluid, they have no gender, gender neutral, whatever it is, um, <clears throat> how do you show the love of God and speak truth to them? Do you support their reality? Or do you speak to them as they are in Christ? That's the question. And I think we're going to get into a lot of trouble because of maybe where we draw the line. But the most important thing is we need to take a position of truth. We need to <clears throat> share our truth in love. We need to not point at the issue. We need to point to Jesus. There's a whole debate about... <clears throat> I told you there's some challenging things. About gay cure. <clears throat> I'm not talking about gay cure, I'm talking about Jesus is the answer. If we can introduce people to Jesus, Jesus transforms lives. Do you know what I think I'd love to see? People, lesbian, gay, transgender, whatever position coming into this meeting being welcomed in and loved, to hear the truth, for us being true, us being loving, in order that Jesus might be seen. As soon as we start putting boundaries up, that's an amazing boundary, that, isn't it? It's a boundary to truth. We might be called bigots, um, haters, whatever, phobic, but our actions must be characterised by kindness, love, Patience, generosity, service, going the second mile, and truth. See, um, I was watching a, an interview with a guy. I think he believes in God, but I don't know if he's a Christian, if that makes sense. <clears throat> um, he didn't argue his position. He wasn't trying to persuade others to take his position. He just said what he felt, what he believed, and the evidence for his belief. And I think that's something we can learn for. We're not trying to persuade others with our, with our words. We're persuading others by our love, by our service, by our kindness. That must be the time, is it? I'll leave you with one more verse. <clears throat> this is 1 Peter 4, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It's 1 Peter 4, verse 16. So let's be truth bearers. Let's be the ones who guard truth, speak the truth, know the truth, are conformed to the truth, and let us love our society. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for your love for us. Lord, I want to just commit us to you and our town, Lord, that we love, and everyone in it, Lord, we believe that everyone can hear the gospel and live. Lord, thank you that there is no one that is outside your grasp. There is none, Lord, that is too, uh, too separated out from you, Father, that you cannot reach in. Lord, you saved us, Lord, and we, there's none here that is perfect. Father, will you give us wisdom in these days to show your love in truth? Lord, that we might be those, Lord, that are setting aside our feelings, Lord, to live according to your truth. Father, will we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit? 
Lord, to empower us and to bring conviction, Lord, to those that we love. Father, for those that will come into this place, into the coffee shop or in our activities, Lord, in our, and for those in our families, those in our workplaces, Father, may we be your lights that shine the light of truth and of love. Lord, it's challenging times, and I pray, Father, you give us the ability to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.